You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill on this rainy day. Those of you who are at home and in your living room watching us, you're good and dry. Thank you for inviting us into your home. And, and how many of you even knew um, this week that the time was going to change? How many, let me put it this way. How many of you didn't know? I didn't know till Friday. And now it, there's a system in my home that drives my wife crazy. On the day that the time is supposed to change, I change all the clocks at about eight in the morning. And so it's like all day long, it just drives Chris crazy because she said, why do you do that? I said, I have to get my mind in shape and wrap around the fact that I'm really gonna lose an hour. And so I went to bed like at 9.30 last night, which was really 8.30 because I get up at 4.30. And so I get up early in the mornings on Sundays. So it drives my wife crazy. And, and I'm so glad that you've been able to make it because of about 10.15, people are gonna show up for the 9.15 service. And so we know that you're the ones who made it. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I feel good. Now, no, no, no. I, I, I want you to say it like you really mean it. Turn to the person next to you and say, I feel good. You ready? One, two, three. Better than you look. Okay. Uh, we'll have some counseling afterwards. And, um, but welcome. Take your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, the wisest, the most powerful, the richest man in the world in the greatest, most powerful nation in the world. And as he writes this book, he's constantly telling us that when you live life under the sun, that means horizontal living, life in the flesh, life without God, then everything is meaningless and purposeless. And so now we come to chapter five and we looked at that last week. I've entitled this, this message, um, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Well, today is I Can't Get No Satisfaction part two. Because last week we began by looking at two of the things that humanity seeks satisfaction in. But when we live life under the sun, we cannot find satisfaction in those two areas. When I'm living my life in the flesh, when I'm living my life for myself, we are always going to be dissatisfied with worship. Because worship becomes about me and it doesn't become about God. It becomes about my needs. And when people begin to live for seeking a true worship experience with God, when they're living by their flesh and their senses, they're going to end up in a wilderness. And all of us who have traveled in this journey of Christianity will find ourselves at times in the wilderness. And Solomon, in that first part, he looks for a moment in the vertical. He moves outside of the horizontal. He gets our mind thinking vertically about God. And he gives us four ways to get out of the wilderness. You remember last week we saw, he says, look at your feet. What's the direction of your heart? Listen to his voice. Limit your words and lean into his promptings. And when we do these things, God says, here's the way out of the wilderness and I'm gonna point you to living water. So that was the first thing we looked at last week. But today, as we come and finish up this chapter, 
and beginning in verse 10, we're going to look at the second thing that Solomon says, when you live life under the sun, you will never be satisfied with, and that is dissatisfied with wealth. You're going to be dissatisfied with wealth is what he says. When you're living your life pursuing wealth, when you're living your life pursuing finances and possessions and things, at the end of your life, it's going to be empty and you will die with an empty soul. Now, you might say, how does he know that? Solomon has the right to speak to us about that. You've heard me say many times that he was the wisest man who has ever lived. And he was also the wealthiest man who has ever lived. How wealthy is he? Well, you might remember when we were looking at chapter two that he threw those epic parties and every party fed about 20,000 people. You talk about something that was lit. And he did that for days upon weeks at a time. But we also know that he was very, very wealthy, not only known to his people, but his wealth was known internationally. We also find the story in 1 Kings, and we see in chapter 10 that this woman from Persia, the queen of Sheba, hears about Solomon. And she's so impressed with everything she hears about his wisdom, about his works, but about his wealth. And so she decided that she would find out for herself. And we know what she says about his wealth from scripture and how she felt. Here is what she says. And when the queen of Sheba has seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no breath in her. In other words, she was blown away. She heard everything that, she, that they had said about Solomon. And when she went there, she was breathless. Now remember, she herself lived in opulence and she lived in incredible wealth and luxury. And when she gets to Jerusalem and she sees what Solomon has, she was breathless. It took my breath away. But then she goes on. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. She's saying, this is incredible. I've never seen it. Half of what I've been told is not even true because I see so much more than that. She was so inspired. You know what she did? She gave him a gift. So what do you give the richest man in the world? She gave him $20 million of gold. <laughs> and then she gave him all of these precious um, ointments and oils and all kinds of rare jewelry. And he was incredibly rich. You and I cannot even comprehend the depth of his riches. One historian writes this, all Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold and those of his house of pure gold. The shields of his mighty men were made of beaten gold and his great throne was made of ivory and overlaid with the finest of gold. Silver in Jerusalem became as common as stones. 
His chariot of state was made of the finest cedar decked with gold and silver and purple and carpeted with the costliest tapestry worked by the daughters of Jerusalem. And he, and he was attended by a bodyguard of 60 valiant men of the tallest and handsomest of the young men of Israel arrayed in Tyrian purple with their long black hair freshly sprinkled with gold dust every day glittering in the sun. That's unbelievable. I mean, he's got wealth beyond anything you can ever imagine. That Waterford crystal that you put out on your table to impress your, your relatives and your family, Tupperware. <laughs> the most expensive couch that you can buy from Jonathan Adler, that's Ikea. That, that luxury Mercedes Benz, that's a VW bug compared to the money that was in his chariot. His mighty men were so, so handsome, it makes Fabio look like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I mean, this guy had everything. You could take that off, please. <laughs> he had everything going for him. You and I cannot comprehend it. So here's the point. This is what I'm, the point I'm making. When somebody of that kind of wealth and that kind of finance and that kind of prosperity speaks about money, we need to listen. And when he speaks about the emptiness of money, we need to take note. Because a guy who lives like that knows what it is to have the very finest at his disposal at every second. So what does he do? In the midst of all of this, Solomon gives us some more vertical thinking here. He moves us outside of the horizontal. He begins to point us beyond the sun into what God desires for us. And then he gives us Five problems with pursuing money. For those who give their focus on riches and the prosperity of this world, he's going to say, hey, there are five problems. And, and there's not a person in this room can say, Solomon, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, he knows better than any one of us will ever know if we live 10 times the length of years he did. So what are the five things? Let me give them to you. The more we have the more we want. This is a principle that we see in humanity. And you know what? The inter interesting thing is it doesn't matter how much you have. The more we have, the more we want. Here's what he says in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now let me tell you what he's not saying. Solomon is not launching an attack on people who have wealth. He is not launching an attack on people who have possessions. He, that's not the point. There's nowhere in scripture that scripture condemns God's people for having wealth and having possessions. It is the Lord himself who gives those things to us. But what he's saying is, it is the love of these things. And when we're pursuing that kind of love, then it indicates where our heart is. Paul wrote the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter, 10 verse, chapter 6, verse 10. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You hear all the time people say, well, the love, well money's the root of all evil. No, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this 
craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. means this, that people who pursue wealth will never be satisfied by it and they always want more. Now, some of you may be pushing back right now and saying, you know what, (laughs) man, if I had half of what Solomon had, I would be satisfied. No, that statement just shows that you've proved my point because you want more than where you are now. You know what's interesting? Wealth and rich and who's rich is kind of a hard term to define. They've discovered that almost without fail, when they ask people, what, is, what does it mean being rich? Every single one of them thought twice as much of what I have. Even the millionaires and the billionaires. So we can't seem to hit the target. Here's the problem. We know that when we have a lot, we want more. And matter of fact, it never makes us happy. Here's a statement I wrote down. While money can buy us tons of comfort, it cannot buy one ounce of contentment. It never does. This is great and tweetable, so you might want to write that. So, Because we can buy comfort, but we can never buy contentment because we never are happy. The more we have, the more we want. It is true of every person in this room. We have the tendency of doing it. Have you ever watched somebody play a slot machine? Anybody? Uh, was that you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, um, when you, I've watched people play a slot machine. They'll put a quarter in, quarter in, quarter in, hour after hour after hour, pulling that thing, hoping to win. And then the lights go off and the bells ring and $400 of coin falls into a bucket and they're so happy about it. And instead of turning it in, what do they do? They start pumping it full of quarters again. Why? Just a little bit more. Somebody asked J.D. Rockefeller. He was the first billionaire. They asked J.D. Rockefeller. They said, well, of all the millions you've made, what was your favorite million? He said, my next one. And the thing is, we know that when you pursue it, it never satisfies. The more we have, the more we want. Principle number two, he teaches us, the more we have, the more we have to spend. The more I have, the more I have to spend to take care of the stuff that I have that I don't need. Here's what Solomon says in verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see with his eyes? What he's saying is this, that when your goods increase, you got a lot more people on your payroll than you ever anticipated. And when you sit back and all you can do is watch it happen. Let me give you an illustration Let's say you've got a job and you get a great promotion and it's a wonderful promotion and you're making significantly more than you were. Rather than taking that money and putting it in the bank and living on the same level that you were living, you decided, you know what? We need a bigger house. So you buy a bigger house. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you have a bigger mortgage and you've got to pay more to the bank. Then you've got more insurance you have to cover. And since it's a bigger house, we need new furniture, right? So you get new furniture and now you've got the furniture store on your payroll. And then you're saying, well, you know what? We need somebody to take care of, kill all the bugs around here, right? So you got somebody who's coming in your yard and spraying it. Then you got somebody working in your yard. 
And then that new car you bought, it needs to be serviced. And the list goes on and on and on. And you end up owing all of these people more. And you're looking back and you can't do anything but watch it. Let me give you another illustration. Any boat owners in here? Yeah, you you know where I'm going to go with this. You buy your boat. You say, wow, we got us a new boat. But you know what? I need something to pull that boat with. So you go get a new truck. And then you got the new truck and the new boat. And then you've got to get the accessories for the boat, right? And then you've got to get the boat, the the ropes and the skis and all the, the boogie boards and the tubes and all of that stuff. And then you realize that when you put that boat in the water, that the word boat means break out another thousand because it keeps breaking down on you. And then somebody tells you the best thing to do is not own a boat, but have a friend who owns a boat. And so what do you do? You sell your boat to your friend who lets you use it. And what happens is it keeps going. The more we have, the more we end up spending money to take care of the stuff we want. I love what one person wrote. He said, when a man's possessions increase, it seems there's a corresponding increase to the number of parasites who live off him. Management consultants, tax advisors, accountants, lawyers, household employees, and sponging relatives. (laughs) And that's so true. What ends up happening in our own lives is we end up getting so much that we got to take care of it, and we end up just watching it and do nothing about it. So the more we have, the more we want. The more we have, the more we have to spend. But here's the third thing. The more we have, the more we worry. People who pursue finances and wealth under the sun, the more they have, the more they have to worry. Here's how Solomon puts it. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. What's he saying there? He's saying for the person who's just a common laborer, he doesn't worry about stuff. He goes to work in the course of the day. He puts in his eight hours. He punches the clock. He comes home. And as he gets home, his kids embrace him and he plays with the kids for a little while and they eat a homemade meal and they enjoy that little meal that they have. And they might get some dessert afterwards, play with the kids a little bit, give them a bath, put them to bed, watch a little TV, eat a little bluebell ice cream before bed and then go to bed sleep like a rock and wake up the next morning and go do it all again. And they're content. But the people who are wealthy and the people who are consumed by their wealth can't sleep. Even though they eat the finest meal. Some scholars would say they can't sleep because they have indigestion. Well, it's much more than that. They can't sleep because they have no peace. They have no rest in their heart because they're always thinking about the financial peace. What are the stocks doing today? What are they going to do tomorrow? I wonder what's going to happen if I make this business deal. What's going to happen if I don't? Am I going to lose everything? What am I going to reinvest in when I get that job or when I get that account? Does she like me only because I have money? Does she not like me because I don't have enough money? And on and on it seems to go. And what happens is people get no rest because everything they have, they're trying to cling on to it and not trust God for it. When Chris and I first got married, 
we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I loved it. It was, it was so good. It was a brand-new apartment that they built. We lived on the first floor. On the second floor was a young lady who loved Whitney Houston because she played it every single night. And on the third floor was a single young man, and I don't know what he did. I, I just never really heard him. But Chris and I lived on the front, first floor, and we had a two-bedroom apartment. We had the most meager of possessions we had all these little tables we bought from the Bombay Company. Anybody remember the Bombay Company? Had all these little round tables. We had some cheap lamps, had a cheap furniture, a couch, a sofa. We had a, a dining room table that was made of particle board. All of our bedroom um, um, furniture was made of particle board. Um, um, you know, the kind that they put in your salad at a vegan place, like I said last week. So no. <laughs> No, 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 I'm just joking. I would not, I would not demean particle board like that. So anyway, the, the particle board, I mean, we, we, it was so little, but we were so happy with it. And we were in the living room one night just praying and just thanking God for everything we had. And we said, Lord, this isn't ours, this is yours. And because it's yours, you can take care of it. About two weeks later, 5 a.m., we're awakened by the sound of screaming and hollering and somebody in the third story running about. I thought, this guy's getting beat up. There's something happening. So I opened my sliding glass window because I heard glass breaking. And I looked, and he had broken the window out, and there was a sheet draped over it full of blood. And smoke was billowing out of his apartment. I thought, oh, my goodness. So I immediately put my, a shirt on. I ran upstairs, and I grabbed a door. And people were moving about by then. And somebody gives me a key. And I go to open the door, and the knob is hot. And as I open the door, the exact same layout as ours, the floor was completely burnt out. I could see the rafters. And he was in a bedroom, and I couldn't get to him. And I knew he was in trouble. And about that time, somebody bust open the sliding glass door, and it created a backdraft. And the man, just everything just caught on fire. I ran down, and the fire department was there within four minutes. They were just dousing it full of water dousing it full of water. And Chris and I were just standing there and we're thinking, well, we've lost everything. And then after the, everything calmed down, the sad news was a young man died on that third floor. But as the, 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 everybody was pulling together and discussing what happened, the fire chief comes up and he says, who lives on the bottom floor? I said, my wife and I do. He said, I just gotta tell you something happened that never happens. He said, my guys went in there and they took all your furniture and they put a tarp all over it, but we knew that wouldn't protect it because the amount of water that was on the third floor would cause the whole floor to crash into the second floor. And the second floor typically with the weight crashes into the first floor and everything's destroyed. But that didn't happen here. He said, when it got to the second floor, all the water ran down the walls and the carpet soaked it up so not one piece of your furniture has been damaged. And I said, well, that's because it's not ours. He said, well, who are you renting from? <laughs> I said, God. I said, it belongs to him. And he can far better take care of his stuff than we can. And God taught us a lesson that day, even in the midst of that tragedy, that when we hang on to it, we can't take care of what we give to God. Because what we give to him is his. Now, I'm sure that particle board has fallen apart somewhere. But God demonstrated a principle that we need to understand. Now, here's the fourth one. The more we have, the more we lose. The more we have, the more we lose. 
This is how he puts it. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. There are two things he talks about loss here. Number one is a loss of health. It's to his hurt. Do you know that statistics have proven that those people who are the wealthiest have some of the greatest health issues? There's a higher amount of stress. They're unhappy. They're unkind. They're impatient with people. They have an entitlement mentality. They cut people off on the highway. They don't follow the rules because the rules have not been made for them. And they're not very happy people to be around. And, 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 and those kind of, when you see people pursuing those things, it leads them to a hurt. J.D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire. He was making a million dollars a week. But he was surviving off of crackers and milk because of his health. He was so stressed out, so worn out. He was 53 years old, and the doctor said, we don't know if you're going to make it to your next birthday. And you know what he started doing? Giving his money away. And the more money he gave away, all of a sudden his health was radically restored. And by the end of his life, he was able to celebrate his 98th birthday. Healthy and happy because he released money to people to advance the needs and the hurts of those around his community. And so when you hang on to it, there's a certain hurtfulness, but also when you hang on to it, there's a lack of security because it will not support you. Have you checked the stock market this week? You know that and how quickly it can go. And so those two things can happen. And I love the way he writes in Proverbs chapter 23. He says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Isn't that true? That your money seems to fly away. And you know what I've discovered this week? I didn't know this before. But on the back of your dollar bill, on the right side of a dollar bill is a circle. And in that circle is an eagle and his wings are spread on every dollar bill. And so I think, man, that's pretty biblical. And we see it becomes a reality because we cannot hold on to money because it's never a real source of security. Here's the last thing he says. The more we have, the more we leave behind. Now we know that to be true. The more we have, the more we leave behind. Here's how he says it. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Since as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? In other words, Solomon would say, you're going to leave everything behind. You're not taking it with you. In all the years that I've done funerals, I have never seen a hearse. I've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. Never. And you know that when they used to bury people, they used to bury them in suits and outfits that had no pockets? Because you can't carry anything with you. And today, people are burying people with pockets. I'm thinking, man, that's a waste of a good suit. He can't use that. And then some people will put glasses on the corpse and I'm thinking, what are you going to do with them? But you're not taking anything with you. Everything is left here. 
I read a story about a, pat, uh, a man who was very, very wealthy. He called three people into his office because a doctor told him he only had about three days to live. One was his doctor, one was his pastor, and one was his lawyer. He said, listen, I know I'm not going to survive this illness. When I die, the day I die, each of you gets $2 million, each of you. And they were like, wow, man, that's very kind and generous. Then he said this, but here's the catch. On the day of my funeral, each of you needs, has to put that $2 million in my casket. And they were like, wow, what a waste. So the funeral came, the pastor did the funeral, and he confessed, he said, listen, I'm supposed to put $2 million in there, but I spent 500000 on our campus. I'm only putting $1.5 million in. And then the doctor comes up and he says, I was supposed to put $2 million in there, but I'm only putting $1 million. I spent a million updating the supplies and equipment in my office, and he put a million in. The lawyer was beside himself. I said, I can't believe you guys, a pastor and a doctor. You lack so much integrity. He asked each of us to put $2 million in there, and you're not going to do it. He said, I want you to know today that I'm putting the full amount, and I have a personal check that I'm putting in there today. Now, for those of you who don't use checks, you might say, what does that mean? But uh, there's a lack of integrity. You're not taking it with you. So what do we do with all this, okay? Here's the thing. Solomon gives us three things to remember. As we're living in this world and taking our eyes off of the horizontal living, he speaks about three gifts from a loving heavenly father. And these three gifts are the things that we need to pursue. Above the wealth and above the riches, Solomon says, pursue these things. Here's the first one. Claim the gift of enjoyment in your life. Claim the gift of enjoyment. He puts it this way in verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one has toiled under the sun the few days, the life that God has given him, for this is his lot. He says, this is what's good and this is what's fitting. Here's where you need to focus. You need to find enjoyment in all of life. I like the fact that he put the word find. Find it. It is all around you. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and one of the things the Holy Spirit deposits, deposits into your life is joy. Joy is something that is internal. Joy is not determined by outward circumstances. It is an internal disposition that comes from a relationship with the Holy Spirit who supernaturally puts the, his fruit into your life. Love, joy, peace, and the rest. But God has given us a sense of joy. And as children of God, we know that we have been forgiven. We know that we have been redeemed. We know that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We know this is not our home. So what should we do? Every single day, claim the gift of enjoyment that God has given to you. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your grandchildren. Enjoy your nieces and your nephews. Enjoy a walk in the woods. Enjoy a good run. Enjoy a workout. Enjoy these kinds of things. And every day is an opportunity for the child of God to look and to find the things that God has given to us 
to enjoy. And these are things money cannot buy. And so God has given us the opportunity to look for opportunities for enjoyment. And you will have that even today. But the trick is to find them, is to look for them, and is to give thanks for everything that God has given to us that's beyond that of money. Here's the second thing. Let's go to the second one. We're going to skip that long passage. Claim the gift of fulfillment in your work. Claim the gift of fulfillment in your work. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot, rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So God has given us work to do. And all of us have different kinds of work. Some of us are truck drivers, some of us are doctors, some of us are lawyers, some of us work in, 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 in the gas industry, the plant industry, and the hospitals. Some of you work in pharmaceuticals, some of you are in sales. We can go on and on. But God has given you that lot. You are there because he has put you there. Find fulfillment in working to his glory. And everything you do, you work as unto the Lord. Now, you might be in what you consider a dead-end job right now, but you do that job to the glory of Christ and see if he doesn't move you to a place that he wants you to be. And let me just say this. Sometimes a promotion, sometimes a new job is not like the grass is greener on the other side. Sometimes it's not. And when you see that grass is greener on the other side, usually it is over a septic tank. <laughs> so we need to be careful with where we pursue, but find fulfillment in the place that God has put you and do that to the best of your ability. And let me tell you something else. Don't just invest in the things of this, king, this world. Invest in the kingdom of God. Invest in the kingdom of God because one day you will be gone. Your money might be gone, but if you invest in the things of God, then that will live for eternity and God will use them in ways you cannot imagine. John Wesley used to say this. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. He said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And when we do that, then we're fulfilling the task that God has called us in kingdom building. Here's the last thing. Claim the gift of contentment in your heart. This one's big. And this is my favorite one of all. Claim the gift of contentment in your heart. You're thankful for what God has given you. And you're walking in contentment. Contentment always begins where you are, not where you want to be. If you say, if I can have that house or if I can have that neighborhood or if I can make this much, then I'll be content. No, no, no. You've just proven the point. The more you have, the more you want. But if you can say, Lord, I'm content right here. You've given me everything I need. You, you, you've supplying my needs regularly and I'm content right where I am. Verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life. Get this. Because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Isn't that great? 
That those who are content, those who are walking in what God desires for them, those who are walking in a close relationship with Christ, their hearts are occupied with joy. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what God offers to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And rather than pursuing the things of the world, getting caught in the traps of the things of the world, we have right here before us in Christ the opportunity to walk in a way that we are occupied with his joy and I'm not consumed by the things of the world that will pass away and will never, ever satisfy. So let me just close this with speaking to believers for a moment. Believers, you have everything you need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit who lives within you whose task is to make you like Jesus every day. Jesus modeled perfectly these things. He walked in the fullness of joy as he did his ministry. His fulfillment in doing his father's work is what pleased his heavenly father and he walked in that. And then the joy overflowed in his life even on the cross knowing that he has completed the work for our redemption. He has provided everything. And so God's not speaking to you today about your wealth or your possessions. God is speaking to us today about where's my heart? Is it in pursuing wealth and possessions? Or is it in pursuing him? And in pursuing him comes the joy and contentment. And I forget about all the things of the world and my heart is occupied with joy. Isn't that wonderful? If you're here today and you're not a believer, Solomon is telling you, believe me, I've made more than you can ever make in your lifetime or even imagine. I know it will not fulfill you. And you will end up your days empty. And then he points you to God. And that is to the Lord Jesus. We have an opportunity to live in such a way, believers, where we're investing in the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of the world. R.G. Letourneau was an incredible man. He was responsible for over 200 patents for this, all these heavy earth-moving equipment that you see today. He was making so much money. It was unbelievable. But R.G. Letourneau not only loved to turn the power onto these machines and watch them do their work, he loved to turn on the power of the gospel in the lives of people. So he gave 90% of his income away to Christian evangelical work all around the world. He lived on 10%. Somebody asked him one day, R.G., how can you do that? He says, very simple. He says, God shovels it in and I shovel it out and God has a much bigger shovel. And by doing that and funding ministries around the world, there are untold thousands who one day will stand in heaven and give an account for his investments. So that's what God has called us to, to be careful and not pursue the things that are under the sun. But let's go beyond the sun and walk in joy and contentment 
for what God has. Does that mean you can't buy a new home? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean you can't buy a new car? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that you live in such a way that you're not driven to need or want those things as opposed to needing those things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we've concluded chapter five and chapter six says the same thing. We ask, Father, that you would stir our hearts today. We thank you for what you've given us. We thank you for the pleasures that we have. But Father, may we turn our attention to enjoyment and fulfillment and satisfaction in you. Father, would you stir our hearts to such a degree that we are hungry for you like never before. Father, that we are thirsty for you like at no other point in our life. Father, that we want to be satisfied by you alone. And Father, that the greatest glory we can give to you is our satisfaction in you. I pray, Father, that as we continue to live our lives in this world, that you would help us to constantly look beyond the sun. Not the five senses, but the sixth sense of faith and confidence, contentment in you for all things. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for your t- our, our time together. We pray that you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.